Thanks for joining us for the Heritage Bible Church podcast from Lincoln, Nebraska. We desire to be a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify Christ and love people well. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. But I want us to think about this a little more broadly this morning and also for our own hearts. Perhaps last week and even as I reviewed this morning, your heart is saying the same thing. Your heart is going, I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded of him. I am a believer and I'm not going anywhere. The crowds can leave, but I'm not going anywhere. I want us to think for a moment about the fact that that confession must not be stationary. It was not stationary or static for Peter. I want us to consider what it looks like from here for Peter. It's not just a profession of faith whereby Peter says, okay, ticket punched on the way to heaven, now back to fishing. That's not Peter's MO. In fact, that would misunderstand the message of Christ. For the message of Christ throughout John chapter 6 is very linear. He says, those who feed, it's like a regular feeding upon his word, a regular coming to him in faith. This is Peter's confession. I will follow. I will follow. So Peter's declaration here is reflecting a continual need for the words of Jesus, a daily need for the bread of life. So question, having believed, do you follow? Think with me. Having believed, do you follow? Are you convinced, brothers and sisters, of your continual need for the word of Christ? Permit me to ask it this way. Are you developing an increasingly voracious appetite to consume his word? Or does this life and all of its notifications voraciously consume you? Please track with me. Are you developing an increasingly voracious appetite to consume his word? Because like Peter, you recognize he has the words of eternal life. His word is what I ultimately need. Or does this life and all of its notifications voraciously consume you? With that question in mind, would you turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10? Luke chapter 10. We're going to read here verses 38 through 42. In verse 38, Luke records, Now as they went on their way, undoubtedly Jesus and his disciples, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She does a good thing, wonderful thing. She is providing hospitality to the creator of the world, the son of God. It's a good thing. So verse 39, as the scene unfolds, she, Martha, had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching, or as the New American Standard puts it, listen to his word. But, verse 40, Martha was distracted 
as Luke takes pains to help us see this vision, help us see into this narrative, this story, he says, Martha, by description, in this moment was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. She's frustrated, right? If I can put in parentheses, Martha comes out and is like, can a sister get some help? <laughs> Verse 41, but the Lord answered her undoubtedly in a gentle tone, but very straight to the point, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So in that last comment, Jesus, in effect, says, Mary is not leaving. The meal will get made, okay? We'll eat. But the ultimate meal, the ultimate food that all of us need, is what Mary is consuming. What she is consuming. She's not leaving. I'm not going to tell her to go help. She's chosen the good portion. That which will not be taken away from her. So in this moment, I think you find juxtaposed the Martha we know and the Mary we need. The Martha we know, I would say, all too well. And the Mary we need. So how is Martha described in this text? Martha is described in this text as distracted, distracted with much serving. Now, if you can put your mind into this moment, can you imagine Martha in the kitchen? I mean, I don't know exactly what their house looks like, so I'm just imagining this. This is conjecture, but I'm imagining that Jesus is in the living room on the couch, and Mary maybe is on the rug or whatever, pretty close to him, listening to his word, and Martha's in the kitchen, and she's clanging around in there, right? And getting louder and louder and louder, right? Thinking to herself, when is someone going to come? Like, what's Mary doing? When is she going to get a clue and come help me with this meal? This meal's not going to make itself, right? Maybe someone has said that in this room before. <laughs> And Mary is oblivious. But Luke records that it's Martha who's distracted. It is Martha who is agitated. And did you know this? When her inward agitation becomes outward, she goes into the living room and rebukes not Mary, but Jesus. Did you notice that? See it in your text, verse 40. She comes busting into the room and she says, Lord, do you not care? So Martha calls Jesus' compassion into question. Can you imagine this? She calls Jesus' compassion into question because Mary is not helping her. Jesus, don't you see this? You who make blind people see, can you not see this? Mary should be helping me. Right? She confronts Jesus. This is not a good look, is it? Not a good look. As a friend of mine says, Martha is 
a hot mess <laughs> in this moment. Not a good look for her. She's busy. She's distracted. And yet, Jesus' gentle reply is, Martha, Martha, you are anxious. He's trying to help her. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. What a powerful statement. We'll get more to that in a moment. You are anxious and troubled. So note with me the three words that are used in this passage to describe Martha. They are distracted, anxious, and troubled. It's interesting to know that the word distracted comes from a Greek word that means literally drawn around or drawn off. The idea of someone drawn away from that which they should be focused on to be focused on a lot of different things. So perhaps a better translation would be pulled apart in many different directions simultaneously. This is the idea of this Greek word. It's not just a quick like distraction like a bird flew past. It's that someone should be focused on something, but they are distracted from that with a lot of different things. They're pulled apart by many different things. This is Martha. Furthermore, she's anxious. She's worried. She's preoccupied by a lot of those thoughts that are getting into her soul and causing her unrest. She's not at rest. She's not feeling joy in this moment, trying to make a meal for Jesus. It's becoming a burden and something she's very much anxious and troubled and worried about. And then lastly, Jesus says, you're troubled. You're annoyed by all of this. You're disturbed by all of this. So not at rest. But my friends, before we judge too quickly, I think that Martha is a picture of us. You look at these descriptive words, Martha in a lot of ways is a picture of us. Put some jeans and a Husker t-shirt on that girl, and she's us, right? A phone in her hand, that's us. Super busy, distracted, anxious, and preoccupied by everything but the one thing Jesus says you can't live without. Let me say that again. Super busy, distracted, anxious, and preoccupied by everything but the one thing Jesus says you can't live without. I think she's the Martha we know all too well. The Martha we know juxtaposed in this story with the Mary we need. The Mary we need. How is Mary described here? Verse 38. She is described as someone who is seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. Excuse me, verse 39. Seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his teaching, listening to his word. She's not distracted. She's not pulled around or pulled apart. She's fixated on Jesus. She's not anxious or bothered. She's actually beautifully oblivious to the whole scene. She's beautifully oblivious to the clanging going on in the kitchen. She's just locked in, right? She's locked in. She has become convinced, like Peter in John chapter 6, that he has the words of eternal life. She has become convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Perhaps she's already experienced him lavishing her with grace and kindness. She knows that she is forgiven by him. He is giving eternal life to her. And so she is before him in worship, absorbing his word, absorbing his teaching. So she is single-minded, 
undoubtedly moved about by love and preoccupied with Jesus. And so Jesus honors her as he makes the juxtaposition to Martha. Note in your text, he says to Martha, one thing is necessary. That's what Mary has picked. Verse 42, one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Think about the power of the statement, my friends. One thing is necessary. Now, to be clear, I probably don't need to say this, but to be very clear, Jesus is not saying, like, it's no longer necessary to work or, you know, love your family. Right? He's not encouraging us all to be monks and just get along with the Bible for the rest of our days. It's not what he's encouraging. Perhaps we can hear this as one thing is ultimate. There is one thing, brothers and sisters, that you and I should arrange our lives around. And that is the word of God. That is the word about and of Jesus Christ. It's the spiritual food. It's John chapter 6. It's what Jesus is teaching. You don't need more miracles. You don't need more physical food. You'll find that. What you ultimately need is me. That's what you need. You need my truth. You need my word. It's food for eternal life, and it's food for this life as well to sustain you. This is something Jesus modeled so beautifully. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Context here. He's a starving man, having been out in the wilderness, not eating anything for 40 days. When Satan says, take those stones and turn them into bread, what did Jesus say? Matthew 4, 4, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. 1 Peter 2, 2, as the apostle admonishes us, like newborn babes, desire, Peter is saying, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, to desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow. This is Mary. She's tasted and she's seen that God is good and so she's arranging this moment around that. Everything else can take care of itself. Everything else can fade away if necessary. I gotta hear this. I have to absorb this. My friends, I think this is the Mary we need. Martha we know all too well and the Mary we need. So the question, are you, like Mary, convinced that his word is your ultimate need? That his word is what you must arrange your life around? Are you likewise convinced? Think about that. And if your response is in the affirmative, let me ask a difficult question. Would your schedule agree? Think with me. Please try with me, friends. Would your schedule agree with that? Is the word of Christ something that you say, I can't live without this. I cannot live without communion with God, with my Savior through his word. And so I've arranged my life around it. Are you more like Martha or more like Mary? 
really the, the helpful question here is, which are we becoming more like? Are we becoming more like Martha or Mary? Distracted or devoted? To return to a previous question, are you growing an increasingly voracious appetite for his word? Or are you voraciously consumed by the distractions and worries of this world? That's the question. What is the steady diet of your mind and heart? And it's right here, my friends, that I'm going to suggest that there is an elephant in the room. Okay? There's an elephant in the room. I think we got a problem. But I'm going to be very clear. I think I have a problem. So do not hear this message as me preaching at you. I'm studying with you. Asking the Spirit of God to continue to do His work in me. Many ways what I'm about to say to you and for us to study this week and next is a lot of what God has been doing in my heart while I've been away on sabbatical. And, and so there's an elephant in my room, so I can say it that way. But I also think, and I love you guys, but the elephant's here too. I think you have a problem too. Many of you, perhaps I should say. Many of you have a problem, too. So question, what is it? I think it relates to our steady diet. Our steady diet. So last weekend, my two boys were getting geared up to go to youth group camp, which was awesome, by the way. They loved it. And I love watching the video. If you haven't seen the video, you should find it on something. I think it's on YouTube. We have a great youth group. Amen? Great youth group. The boy was just amped, psyched out of their minds. Dylan, it was, it was his first time to go to youth group camp, and he is cool now. <laughs> and so Catherine had a cool mom moment because she was like, all right, boys, you know, what snacks do you want? And she gave him no guidance. It was a cool mom moment. <laughs> and they came out with gummy rings, Sour Patch Kids, and Oreos. <laughs> Or it was balanced diet, am I right? <laughs> That's what they said, and after kind of a look of disgust, Kevin says, what about some actual snacks? And they were like, I don't know. <laughs> and I think maybe we settled on beef jerky or something like that. But the, the, the cool mom moment extended to the fact that she gave them no instructions, okay? She just cut them loose. And by the way, it was kind of funny because they didn't realize that they both had their own set of snacks. They, they both had their own like full gummy ring, Sour Patch Kid, Oreo package. And Dylan, before they left the house, hollers at the Dawson, Dawson, I've got the snacks. <laughs> and Catherine said, well, th those are your snacks. You have your own set. And Dylan was like, are you kidding me? day, Catherine. Cool moment. They did not come home with much. Okay. <laughs> so they went off to camp where sugar highs rule, right? But on the typical, on the typical, Kevin does a really good job of ensuring that we don't eat like that. Okay? She does a good job of making sure that we eat according to the food pyramid. Okay, you guys remember this? <laughs> a little research this week 
another. They actually came up with this in 1992, I think. I mean, I didn't research it that much. But, <laughs> and that was supposed to help all of us to not like make the top little triangle our steady diet. That might be steady diet for youth group camp, but not for normal daily life. Otherwise, you will be sick, okay? You will be sick. So you gotta work your way up. Make, you know, veggies and proteins. And you know what? You know what I also found? They keep changing this. Because <laughs> carbs are bad. Whatever. <laughs> oh, carbs. Okay. Stick to this. All right. Um, Dustin, what are you talking about? What's the point? I recently read a book that used this concept of the food pyramid as the illustration to talk about the information that we absorb, the information that you and I consume on a regular basis. And the book is entitled The Wisdom Pyramid. I would recommend it to you. And the illustration for the book is the next slide. You will see it momentarily. As you look at that for a moment, understand that that top little triangle is where I want to focus for a moment. That top little triangle is kind of likened the food pyramid to the area of all sugar, right? Confections, fats, oils. You can't make a steady diet of that. Rather, we need to start with the Word of God. I mean, I think this wisdom pyramid dovetails well into Luke chapter 10. It also dovetails well into John chapter 6. But unfortunately, I think a lot of times we flip it. We flip this. And I'm, I'm telling you, this is what I think is the elephant in the room. I think a lot of the time we act like we are the kids at middle school camp. And the lion's share of the information we absorb is coming from sources that are curated by the world and delivered to us by the world, by society, not by those who know and love God predominantly. This is flipped for us in many ways, and the guy who wrote this book argues that we are way out of whack. And we need to think about it, for it's making us sick spiritually, and we don't even realize it. So consider a quote from the author, Brett McCracken, and he said this, I feel the sickness constantly. When I open Twitter and see the latest array of vile name-calling, self-righteous ranting, and virtue signaling, I get squeamish. When I find myself meandering on my phone, scrolling through Instagram, clicking on random links, checking sports scores, or whatever, I often feel removed from my body, lost in a digital rabbit hole. I so relate to this. Even as I write this chapter, my phone on my desk has lured me into its web probably a dozen times. Why? How do I stop this? How do I resist checking my phone first thing in the morning, last thing at night, and multiple times each hour in between? The questions trouble my mind, as they probably do yours. The sickness I feel which so many people feel, is akin to that of the slot machine addict. Track with me. We've been conditioned, he says, in a Pavlovian way to keep putting proverbial coins in the machine 
The dings and flashes of our push notifications give us dopamine hits that keep us hooked as they were engineered to do. See, by the way, perhaps I'm getting ahead of myself, but understand that these things are doing something to us. It's doing something to us. It's not neutral. We want to see who pinged us, what people are saying about our photos, and what's getting the mobs riled up today. And it's terrible for us, and we know it. But like other vices, alcohol, tobacco, sugar, it's addictive. It's addictive. Now, having thought about that for a moment, consider again the three words used to describe Martha. Distracted, pulled apart in mind and emotion, pulled apart in many different directions simultaneously. Also, anxious, worried about stuff, preoccupied with stuff that we don't need to be, and then also troubled, bothered, and annoyed. Is this not what happens when we are constantly ingesting our phones, social media, the internet, our minds, hearts, emotions, drawn away, distracted, constantly away from the singular thing we must be focused on. So our phones keep us pulled away. They keep our thoughts occupied. They keep us anxious many times. Our phones keep us full. They keep us full. Just like Martha, my friends, the perhaps insidious thing about it is that there's good there, right? You guys tracking with me? Again, I'm right here with you. There's good in it, and that's what makes it so dangerous. Because we say to ourselves, like, there's going to be a good tweet that's going to encourage my soul, right? It's a good tweet. That's a, that's a biblical article I can read. right? Or an encouraging text message that I can get or send. I've got emails to check, people to check on, etc. All of the things are good. They're good. The problem is, is that everything is funneled into one thing. And even when, please track with me, even when I'm perhaps reading a biblical article, I might be getting pinged by all kinds of other things, right? How many, of you, how, many, how many times lately have you read a whole article without actually going about five other places while you were reading that article? Probably a lot. Because that's the way it works. It's constantly wooing you. It's constantly trying to attract you into the web. Right? They want to sell stuff to you. But the game, while you hold it, is that of distraction. We pull you apart. And what we've lost, I think many times, what I've lost is the beauty of silence. The importance of what is given to us in the Psalms as the sila, the sacred sila. But when you see this, this musical moment for reflection, where God is essentially saying, like, you just read this beautiful poem from the psalmist, but you didn't get it. You're not going to get it in one pass. 
meditate on it. Think about it. Let it marinate in your soul. But we can't do that. Why? Because we're just buzzing through. You guys with me? We're just buzzing through. Even when we see good things, it just comes into our head and then goes right out. Right? Isn't that the way the feeds work? Oh, that was good. That's really encouraging. That's infuriating. Can't believe it. Whoa. And you've already forgot that thing that you said was, was encouraging. That's the way the cycle goes. That's why they call it in secular society the death scroll. This is not church talk. It's called the death scroll. But that's the way it works. It keeps you hooked. It keeps you drawn in. And the point is that it's affecting us. It's changing us, I think. And it's an elephant in the room. At least it is for me. It's something that I'm seeking God's help in. Uh, just recently, I was actually kind of embarrassed at myself. I was embarrassed because I was sitting with Catherine, and uh, she was, just, we were just trying to spend a little time together, and she was on the floor doing chalk art, you know, this big chalk art piece. So she wasn't looking at me. Like, if she was looking at me with a face-to-face, I wouldn't have had my phone. But we were just kind of hanging out, right? At least I hope I wouldn't have. <laughs> But she was doing her thing, you know, and I was just sitting on the couch. And we were making small talk and whatnot, talking about a few things. And every time there was a lull in the conversation, it was like involuntary. My, my hand like went towards my phone. My phone was just sitting over there on the couch, face down. To my knowledge, there were no texts that I needed to respond to or emails I needed to return or anything that I was interested in. Really? I mean, the Cubs have been out of the playoff picture forever. <laughs> don't even need to check that. Right? But as soon as there was a lull, it was like involuntary. I just wanted to grab it. I wanted to pick it up. And, huh, that's interesting. And again, a lot of good. Is it best? Just think with me. Is it best? Is this helping us love God? I think a lot of times we arrive in places where we go, I'm not sure I even want to spend time alone with God. And I'm concerned actually about the affections of my soul. So I would agree with John Piper who said, it's not because we have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because we have nibbled so long at the table of the world, our soul is stuffed with small things, and there is no room for the great. Our soul is stuffed with small things, so there is no room for the great. There is no room for being lost in awe and worship, not just with your Bible open, but even in nature or over a meal be lost in adoration before God, to enjoy the communion of saints, and to feast upon his word, because our minds are so distracted, our hearts are so full, there's so much coming at us, and we can't filter it. And I think what we need is the gentle rebuke from Jesus that he gives to Martha in this text. 
What does he say to her? In effect, in this text, Jesus looks at her and says, is that necessary? And she could say, for a variety of reasons, she could say, yes. Yes, it's necessary. But do we see in this passage that Jesus says, no, it's not. The meal will get done. We'll eat. We'll eat. What you can't live without is my word. That's what Jesus is saying. This is the necessary thing. Arrange your life around the word of God. So I want to conclude this morning with a couple of dares. Okay, I want to triple dog dare you <laughs> in a couple of ways. I know this is unusual. Uh, and if you're going like, Dustin's a little bit off his nut, we'll give him a pass for a couple of weeks. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> and, uh, and you don't have to do this. But maybe you're going like, you need a little help too. Here's, here's the dares. Number one, I dare you to fast from social media for the next couple of weeks. I dare you. Uh, full disclosure, I'm not on any social media, but I do have, I know, I do have a couple of news feeds that I scroll. And I'm going to, by God's grace, I'm going to fast from those in the next couple of weeks. So I dare you to do that. By the way, if you do this, if you'll do this with me, um, I'd love to hear from you. Email me. I'd love to hear how, how it's going or how it goes and if God uh, gives you some insight in this moment. Again, if you don't want to do it, cool. No worries, mate, at all. Dare number two, I dare you to read a paragraph in the book of Colossians in an actual Bible, paper Bible, without your phone or any other electronics in the room. I dare you to read a paragraph from the Bible, an actual paper Bible, every day. And, and that's not the full... Uh, Compliment of the dare. The full dare is read a paragraph and talk to God about it. Okay? So this is going to get into what we want to talk about a little bit more next week. But I want you to read a paragraph, which is going to be probably six to ten verses, typically, in the book of Colossians. Read it. And as you do, see prayer requests in it and talk to God about it. Like just engage in a conversation with God about it. In fact, would you just turn with me over to the book of Colossians? I just want to show you what I mean. To be very clear. And you, you will find, if you will read, you know, six, eight verses or whatever, just alone with your Bible and God, you will find as you start to look at the Bible this way, all kinds of prayer requests. Some of them are just praises. Some of them are prayer requests for need. Some of them may be confession. But you will begin to commune, commune with God. So if you want to complete this dare, do this alone with God, with a paper Bible, and converse. I actually talk to him about it. 
So let's just look, for example, at verse 15. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. What are you saying there? You could just read that and go, hmm, that was good. Or you could read that and go, that's amazing. Jesus, who came here in a body, is the image of the invisible God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for subjecting yourself to a body for all eternity, that we might relate to you and touch you. Thank you for that. You are an amazing Savior. Verse 16, by him all things were created. All things. Wow, Lord, you are so creative. All the trees, the insects, the food that you've provided. You're so good. Thank you for that. Etc. etc. You guys with me? Do that. That's dare number two. And then number three, I dare you to begin to think about places where you would disinvite technology. Where you would disinvite technology. And again, I'm, I'm being pretty transparent uh, here uh, to tell you that this is something that Catherine and I are doing, trying to take a step in. We're trying to basically get our phones like charging in the kitchen when we go to our bedroom and use an old school alarm clock, right? Maybe people under 20 don't even know what those are. <laughs> We're going to try to, to do this. We're still trying to, I'm still trying to work it out in my mind. But the whole goal is that it wouldn't be. My phone would not be the last thing I look at and the first thing I look at around bed. So I just dare you to think about it. Okay? Now please hear me. I'm not going to make any rules. No regulations here. Okay? No one to force anything. Please do not hear this and go like, whoa, Dustin, man, he's on the slippery slope to legalism now. <laughs> I knew it was going to happen sometime. He's getting old. He's going to happen sometime. Don't think of it that way. I'm just trying to help. I'm trying to love you well and evaluate my own heart well. I've got issues here, I think. And I want to hear God, brothers and sisters. I want to hear God. I want to immerse myself in his word. I want to thin down the stuff that I absorb from society. And I want that for you too. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. I pray that you would help us to see that it is, that it is good. That it is food for our soul. It is what we desperately need. Pray that you would help us in this. Father, you know that as a society, this is all relatively new. And we're learning how to deal with it on the fly. All that information in our hands. So I pray that you would help us to be wise. Help us to be wise. In Jesus' name, amen.